Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, uh, February 2nd, February 2nd um, episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast that is dedicated to prayer, devotion, scripture reading, and Bible study. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing great, great work for the kingdom. So I would encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there to listen to. And it's really, really possible you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. And I say that from experience because that's exactly what has happened to me. I still haven't figured out how to listen to everything over there I want to listen to. Um, and I've been part of the, the Christian podcast community for a year now. And almost a year. Almost a year now. And still can't, still, still can't find enough time to listen to everything I want to listen to over there. All right. Well, I'm sorry I had to miss a couple days there. Had just way too much family stuff, work stuff, all all the other going on, and just couldn't find the time to get the recording in because this this recording takes time to get the recording done, much less getting the study done and stuff to be able to take care of it. So I'm sorry. We're not obviously we're not going to finish John 17 um, today. But we're going to get into the last portion of John 17, and then God willing, we should finish it on Tuesday of next week and move on into John 18. But, so like we usually do, we're going to go ahead and do our Bible reading for the day. We're going to go ahead and open up the morning segment here with the six-day morning prayer. It's called the Gospel. Let's pray. O Thou Most High, Creator of the ends of the earth, Governor of the universe, Judge of all men, Head of the Church, Savior of sinners, Thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantage, excuse me, advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 2nd. The text for it is from Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. This is the voice of unalterable truth. In none of the Jewish ceremonies were sins even typically removed without blood shedding. In no case, by no means, can sin be pardoned without atonement. It is clear, then, that there is no hope for me out of Christ, for there is no other blood shedding which is worth a thought as an atonement for sin. Am I then believing in him? Is the blood of his atonement truly applied to my soul? 
All men are on a level as to their need of him. If we be never so moral, generous, amiable, or patriotic, the rule will not be altered to make an exception for sin. Sin will yield to nothing less potent than the blood of him whom God hath set forth as a propitiation. What a blessing that there is the one way of pardon. Why should we seek another? Persons of merely formal religion cannot understand how we can rejoice that all our sins are forgiven us for Christ's sake. Their works and prayers and ceremonies give them very poor comfort, and well may they be uneasy, for they are neglecting the one great salvation and endeavoring to get remission without blood. My soul, sit down and behold the justice of God as bound to punish sin. See that punishment all executed upon thy Lord Jesus, and fall down in a humble joy, and kiss the dear feet of him whose blood has made atonement for thee. It is in vain when conscience is aroused to fly to fleeing feelings and evidences for comfort. This is a habit which we learned in the Egypt of our legal bondage. The only restorative for a guilty conscience is a sight of Jesus suffering on the cross. The blood is the life thereof, says the Levitical law, and let us rest assured that it is the life of faith and joy and every other holy grace. Oh, how sweet to view the flowing of my Savior's precious blood, with divine assurance knowing he has made my peace with God. All right, well, our reading for today, obviously we skipped a few days, so we've jumped forward here in our reading here. I hope you continued keeping up on the reading yourselves. Um, but so we are picking up our reading. We're going to be reading from Exodus 15, verse 19, all the way through Exodus 17, verse 7. We're going to be reading Matthew 22, verses 1 through 33, uh, Psalm 27, the first six verses, and Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 26. So Exodus 15, verse 19. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and Yahweh brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. And Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, Sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses had Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And they came to Marah, but they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the waters became sweet. There he set for them a statute and a judgment, and there he tested them. And he said, If you will earnestly listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, Yahweh, am your healer. Then they came to Elim, 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 I guess, where, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there besides the, beside the water. Exodus 16. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the 
to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to put the whole assembly to death with hunger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my law. Now it will be on the sixth day they shall prepare what they bring in, and it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that Yahweh has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of Yahweh, for he bears you gr hears your grumblings against Yahweh, and what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, This will happen when Yahweh gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For Yahweh hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before Yahweh, for he has heard your grumblings. Now it happened, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that they turned toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of Yahweh appeared in the cloud. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, so that you shall know that I am Yahweh your God. So it happened at evening, the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. Then the layer of dew evaporated, and behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And the sons of Israel saw it, and said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded, Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. And the sons of Israel did so. Some gathered much, and some little, and they measured it with an omer. And he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. And Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But the sun would grow hot, and it would melt. Now it happened that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. Then all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, and he said to them, This is what Yahweh has spoken. spoken. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to Yahweh. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is in excess put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had commanded. And it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to Yahweh. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened on the seventh day that, seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then Yahweh said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, Yahweh has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place, let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, and the house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers and honey. Then Moses said, This is what Yahweh has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it, and place it before Yahweh to be kept throughout your generations. As Yahweh commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the sons of Israel ate the manna forty years, until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth of an ephah. Exodus 17, first seven verses. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of Yahweh, and they camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you test Yahweh? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to put us and our children and our livestock to death with thirst? So Moses cried out to Yahweh, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he named the place Massa, Massa, and Meribah, because of the contending of the sons of Israel, and because they tested Yahweh, saying, Is Yahweh among us or not? Matthew 22, verses 1-31 and Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been called to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out another slave, saying, Tell those who have been called, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were called were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there call to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen." Then the Pharisees went and took counsel together about how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful, and, test, and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Therefore tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their wickedness, said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they marveled, and leaving him, they went away. <clears throat> On that day some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question, saying, Teacher, 
Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up a seed for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, having and having no seed, he left his wife to his brother. So also the second, and the third, down to the seventh. And last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Psalm 27, the first six verses. Of David, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the strong defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in this I trust. One thing I have asked from Yahweh that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Yahweh, and to inquire in his temple. For in the day of calamity he will conceal me in his shelter. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me, he will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with loud shouts of joy. I will sing, and I will sing praises to Yahweh. Finally, Proverbs 6 verses 20 through 26. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not abandon the law of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep watch over you. And when you awake, they will speak to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the foreign woman. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. All right, well that is our reading for the day. Thank you for coming along with me for this. Um, I continue to pray that th this helps us all to be more and more saturated with the scripture as we need to be. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you tomorrow morning. I will definitely try better to not let things get all, get all on top of me so I can keep up and we can have an episode every day. But let's go ahead and we're going to close out with another prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called Union with Christ. Let's pray. O Father, thou hast made man for the glory of thyself, and when not an instrument of that glory, he is a thing of naught. No sin is greater than the sin of unbelief. For if union with Christ is the greatest good, unbelief is the greatest sin, as being crossed to thy command. I see that whatever my sin is, yet no sin is like disunion from Christ by unbelief. Lord, keep me from committing the greatest sin in departing from him. For I can never in this life perfectly obey and cleave to Christ. When thou takest away my outward blessings, it is for sin. In not acknowledging that all that I have is of thee, in not serving thee through what I have, in making myself secure and hardened, lawful blessings are the secret idols and do most hurt. The greatest injury is in the having, the greatest good in the taking away.
and love divest me of blessings that I may glorify thee the more. Remove the fuel of my sin, and may I prize the gains of a little holiness, as overbalancing all my losses. The more I love thee with a truly gracious love, the more I desire to love thee, and the more miserable I am at my want of love. The more I hunger and thirst after thee, the more I faint and fail in finding thee, the more my heart is broken for sin, the more I pray it may be far more broken. My great evil is that I do not remember the sins of my youth, nay, the sins of one day I forget the next. Keep me from all things that turn to unbelief or or lack of felt union with Christ. Amen. All right. Well, again, thank you for spending this morning with me, and I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, February 2nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. And yeah, I didn't even think to say it in the morning segment, but yeah, we've already made it through one month of 2024. Um, kind of feels like it's flying by already. Um, kind of hard to believe that. Of course, I see that and I'm also realizing that my granddaughter is now like six weeks old um, and grandson, well, is over two. I'm heading for three, but he's a ways off from three, but geez, got another granddaughter coming in what, four months, something like that. Wow. Kind of crazy. Life flies by when you're not paying attention. All right. Well, again, we're, we are going to get into, um, this last section, um, Jesus praying for his believers. It's part two. We did part one, which was verses 20 through 23. This is verses 24, 25, and 26. That is part two. And the title of it that Dr. MacArthur gave it is that they would one day be reunited in glory, that they would one day be reunited in glory. And we're going to look at some parts of that. We're going to see the fellowship, the focus, and the fellowship tonight, the focus Monday, God willing. Um, and I forget what it is for Tuesday. Um, but let's open up with prayer first. Again, we're doing our prayer from at the throne of grace from Dr. MacArthur. Um, it is, it is his prayers that his children assembled. If I remember correctly, if I understood correctly, and we're going to do one from it, it's called living like we're really awake. And so as usual with this, we've got some text to read first. It's Romans 13 verses eight through 14. So let's read. Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness, and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Let's pray. Gracious Father, even your law is an expression of your love. 
Not only does love perfectly fulfill the law's moral demands, it also powerfully testifies about the truth of the gospel. Our love for you and our love for one another furthermore demonstrates that we are spiritually awake to the soon return of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. All the truths about you unveiled in Scripture, all the great doctrine, all aspects of the unfolding story of redemption come down to this, that we might know you, the only true God through Jesus Christ, and walk in obedience to him for our own eternal glory as a loving community of believers, bringing glory to your holy name forever. Anyone who does not love does not truly know you, because you are a God of love. The sum of your commandments is love. All that you require of us is that we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as ourselves. And yet, Lord, we fall far short of loving you as we should. Love for self too, too often overwhelms our love for one another. Even the best of our love is but a faint glimmer of what it ought to be. We stand in desperate need of daily grace and forgiveness, and we confess that apart from your mercy to us, we would be utterly without hope. But when we were lost, you found us. You called us and drew us to Christ. You brought us up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set our feet upon a rock. We want to be spiritually awakened. Help us to realize and bear in mind that our final salvation, the eternal glory of heaven, is nearer to us than when we believed. The day will soon dawn when we enter the glory of your presence. Until that dawning, while we remain in this world, before your Son's glorious return, we yearn to live in holy, not sinful, ways. Empower us unto holiness as we seek to walk in a way that is consistent with your wonderful love and your perfect righteousness. Give us a humility to know that no matter how we resolve to live to your honor, we have no strength of our own to accomplish that end. So we walk by faith from day to day, depending on our Heavenly Father to meet our needs. Grant us more of the faith that overcomes the world. It is our blessed privilege as your children to come boldly to the throne of grace again and again, where we always receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Christ paid an infinite price to cover our sins, and therefore the wellspring of your mercy is free and inexhaustible. Such is the great love you bestowed on us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. We come, therefore, to worship you and as those who live by your love. May your love be the mold that shapes our actions, our words, our character, and our very lives. May love be the rule by which we live, the principle that governs our dealings with others, and a signboard for the whole world to see and honor Christ. We pray in his precious name. Amen. All right. And now our devotion for today from Glorifying God. It's by Thomas Watson. And let me find the page. I've got to skip a few pages here. Uh, there we go. February 2nd. There it is. All right. And the title for this one is Christians Exhorted to Glorify God. And the text for it is from 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whatever serves, I'm sorry, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that on all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's 1 Peter 4.11. Let us make it our chief end and design to glorify God. Let me speak to magistrates. God has put much glory upon them. I have said, Ye are gods, Psalm 82, 6. And will they not glorify him who has put much glory upon them? Ministers should also study to promote God's glory. 
God has entrusted them with two of the most precious things, his truth and the souls of his people. Ministers, by virtue of their office, are to glorify God. They must glorify God by laboring in the word and doctrine. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. Preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort. That's from 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. It was Augustine's wish that Christ at his coming might find him either praying or preaching. Ministers must glorify God by their zeal and sanctity. It is a matter of grief and shame to think how many who call themselves ministers, instead of bringing glory to God, dishonor him. Their lives and their doctrines are not holy. They are not free from the sins which they reprove in others. Finally, matters of families must glorify God, must train their children, I'm sorry, masters of families must glorify God, must train their children and servants with the knowledge of the Lord. Their houses should be little churches. You that are masters have a charge of souls. For one of the bridle of family discipline, youth runs wild. All right. Well, sorry, I want something to drink here. Just, just a second. It's Pepsi Zero. I'm not really a fan. It doesn't taste bad. It's just not my thing. Um, I've been drinking diet drinks forever. Since I was a kid, I ended up being borderline diabetic. So I had to go on a no sugar diet. So I've been drinking soda since I was a kid, diet soda since I was a kid. Not that that's good for you either. Please, I'm not recommending that in any way, shape or form. Uh, the, the fake sweeteners are just as deadly as sugar, actually. Raw sugar in the appropriate form um, and in the appropriate um, amounts is perfectly fine. But anyways, sorry, I digress. All right, we're, we're back in our study of John chapter 17. So, um... And again, you know, we've talked about before, we're going to do this very, very quickly. Um, we dealt with the fact, you know, Jesus, this, this prayer. And again, as we've said, this is truly, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He is praying as the mediator, as our high priest, our mediator between us and God. Um, again, yes, we can pray directly to God. I'm not saying we have to pray through him, but Jesus is the one who paid our price. He is the one who came to God and said, I'm paying what they owe. So he took our wrath upon himself. He is our mediator. And so that is how he's praying for us as, as our high priest. So that's why this is called the high priestly prayer. And this prayer, um, and, and it really is more the Lord's prayer than anything else, because you've got two parts of the Godhead, of the triune Godhead, speaking to each other, the Son and the Father, the Son speaking to the Father. It's their direct communication. But as we saw, this prayer is broken into three different pieces. Jesus prays initially for himself. And again, it's not like you and I would pray for himself. He prays, you know, that God would be glorified. Basically, help me to carry this out. Let's let's carry this out. Let's finish this mission that I'm here for. And then he goes on and he prays from verses 6 through verses 19 for the disciples. And, he, and we saw him, the initial part of it was um, he, he prayed for them as those whom the Father had given him. Um and, and we saw why the father had given them and, and why, and thus it was kind of, of, of an impetus to show why God would answer the rest of this prayer. Now we know, um, for a number of things that because Jesus is part of the triune God, that they have the same will, they, they are on the same plan. So the things Jesus prays for are the things God expects him to pray for. But at the same time, remember, he's praying this prayer out loud. He's trying to let, he, he's trying to 
and he's been trying throughout this upper room discourse from John 13 through John 16 to buoy these men up, meaning to lift them up, to strengthen them, to strengthen their faith, because this is getting crazy. This is going nuts. We've, and we've talked about all that. So I'm not going to go into all those details again. Um, but again, they're in bad shape. Um, and it's about to get worse. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be killed. So he's trying to strengthen them. They, they have a mission and he's made clear that you still have a mission and your this mission will be carried out. So he's trying to say, you are going to carry this out. You know, he's trying to lay it out. So that's part of what he does as he goes, listen, and he's basically saying to them, you've believed, you've believed in me, the true belief. So God's going to answer this and you were given me from the father. So God's going to do this. So he's making an example. He's showing an example to them, but then we see it. It got into that part two of praying for the disciples. And it, it, Dr. MacArthur called it as those whom he is about to leave. And we saw he makes two requests. He makes a request for spiritual protection for them and a request for sanctifying purity, the spiritual protection, because Jesus is not going to be there to protect them from the attacks that he has protected them, protected them for. Remember, when we read through the Gospels, all the attacks came against Jesus. His disciples were with him the whole time, but the attacks come against Jesus, not the disciples. You know, if anything, even when they want to beef about him, um, when they're going through the field and the wheat and they, they rub it between their hands and stuff. They don't go beef at the, at the disciples. They go to Jesus to beef. I mean, so he's been a buffer for them. He's going to be gone. So he's praying for spiritual protection for them, um, to be, be able to withstand this, um, and to withstand it in a godly manner. But he also requests the sanctifying purity because they need to be pure. They need to be sanctified. They need to be holy as their father is holy so that they are the appropriate witness so that they bring the appropriate witness. I mean, because Jesus has walked this perfect life. Uh, the impact, the way he lived had to have in him giving his message. And they talk about it. He preached as one with authority beyond, beyond what, you know, their hypocritical religious leaders do. He lived a holy life. And that's what he's praying for, for them, that their, their lives would continue, be holy from this point on. So those, he makes those requests. So then he goes to prepare, pray for all other believers. Um, and, and he prays about union, that they would be presently united in the truth. We saw that verses 20 through 23. And we saw that root of true unity, the request for true unity, that root being the true belief. So we see Jesus make that request for true unity. We saw the characteristics of true unity. Um, and one of those, one of the key ones of those being united in love. And then we saw the results of true unity and we worked our way through that. So we're getting into this last section. And this, again, this is the second part of Jesus praying for all believers. And this is that they would one day, the title for it again is that they would one day be united in glory, that they would one day be united in glory. That means after we are glorified, after we pass from this world, if Christ doesn't come before that point, if, if he does, then we will be brought to glory premature. No, well, not prematurely, but we will be brought to glory before our death. But anyways, we will be all be reunited in glory. All of we believers will be reunited in glory. And that's, he's making that request. He requests for true unity for the believers and he requests. So that's the third request. Here's the fourth request that they would one day be reunited in glory. So our, our, our title for today, we're going to deal with just verse 24. I think it's actually 24 a 
I got to find it way down here. I got so many notes before that. Yeah, 24A. So it's only the first half of 24. Actually, this is the first half of 24. Monday Monday night, um, God willing, will be the second half of verse 24. And then Tuesday, God willing, will be 25 and 26. So this is the fellowship of future glory. So, you know, way too often in our world today, our churches and the members in them are not heavenly minded. We're just not. I, I, I it's, it's not a common thing. I mean, you, you can see that in the Puritan prayers that I read to you in Spurgeon's devotions, you see a heavenly mindedness. And of course we can sit there and go, well, well, yeah, but you know, those Puritans and Spurgeon and all that. No, no, no. The, the Puritans, these were average everyday people, but they were so heavenly minded. You find any of the writings of the Puritans and, and these not, not even necessarily pastors. They were heavenly minded. They were constantly one of their biggest focuses and, and which maybe made them a little stodgy, but oh, well, was their search for piety, not, not a, not a pharisaical piety, but a truly living to be, um, as Ephesians five, I know I always go back to it, but it's cause it always sticks with me. Ephesians five, one to be imitators of God, mimetus taking on the characteristics of God, holiness being that key, those characteristics, because obviously we don't take on the non-communicable attributes of God, but, but that, that holiness. And so they were striving for that piety. And, and that was a part of every bit. I mean, from the children to the oldest adult. That was a part of their focus. They were heavenly minded, but so many of our churches out there are not, and you can see it. And, and so many of them, they, they posted on, they posted on the web. I mean, they put it, put stuff up on YouTube and you see these videos of them. What, uh, one of them, I forget what service it was, but, but he came, he came screaming down a line across the, you know, across the top of the congregation. Um, you, you've seen ones where, where they're up there running around, ba basically playing football on the stage and any other stuff like that. And I mean, they're heretical to begin with. Yes, but they're not heavenly minded. It's not about heaven. It's, it's about here. And I mean, I mean, and, 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 um, my brother Costi Hen would, would attest to this part. Um, absolutely. Cause he came out of it. Um, and I've never met him. I would love to go meet him in Phoenix. I just, I, I haven't had the time, but I would love to go meet him. Um, because Benny Hinn, Benny Hinn is, un is his uncle. I think that's right. Is his uncle. And Benny is one of those faith healers, but Benny is also one of those, um, prosperity gospel people that, that pray for it and ask for it. And God will give it to you. You know, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and healthy, wealthy, and wise here in this world. No, he doesn't wise. Yeah, sure. He wants us to have a wise walk. We see that in Ephesians four, five, and six, but it's not about wealth. It's not even about being healthy. I, um, you know, Paul speaks of having a thorn in the flesh. Um, and we don't really know what that thorn is. He doesn't ever alliterate, but it's totally possible that it was a medical illness that he had to deal with. We know Timothy had, um, issues to where Paul suggested that he drink a little wine to help with his stomach. You know, I, I even though Paul just people taking, taking, um, sweat rags from him and, and they, them being healed, Paul didn't come heal Timothy. I mean, that, that, that wouldn't, I mean, of anybody he would have healed, it would have been Paul. God would have healed. It would have been Paul. 
he's not if 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 what prosperity puts out there and like i said costi was part of that movement and came out of that movement years and years and years ago and he's now pastor of a church and all that and just doing great great work for the kingdom so i i mean i i definitely you go find stuff from costi hen um you're definitely going to be served well okay so i'll say that about my brother but but again that that prosperity gospel as much as they talk about god they're focused on the world they're talking about um they want to get everything they can out of this world then they'll worry about heaven you know it was um and macarthur's commentary was talking about it that you know it, it's these people they, they want to get all they can up till they started getting sick they're getting a little more physically decrepit or whatever and then they'll worry about being heavenly minded that's not what we're called to do that's not where we're called to be that 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 is being worldly minded um first peter 2 11 beloved i urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul now note what peter points out here as sojourners and exiles meaning this isn't our home this world is not our home and yeah abstain from fleshly lusts yeah, it probably talks in some case, he's probably referring in some cases to, to, um, intimate sexual, whatever kind of stuff. But, but at the same time, fleshly can be worldly, worldly lusts, lusts for things. Um, um, shoot, um, 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 a document, I don't want to go too far down this, but a documentary my wife and I just saw recently and it's it's been a couple of seasons and it's going to have a third season but this is all about the same story and i'm not going to get into the details of the story but what i kept hearing about is this person talking about how great their life was and of course you know obviously it all falls apart but as he's talking about how great their life was he's not talking about the relationships within the family and how much love there was and any of that kind of stuff it was all about the stuff that they were making this much kind of money they had this house and this house and this many square foot and these cars and you know and all this stuff and we went on trips all the time and i mean it was all about the money that's what that peter is as much referring to that as to anything anything sensual uh, Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, making clear, our citizenship is there, not here. We're passing through here. This is not home. This may be our earthly home at this point, but again, we are citizens of heaven, not of this earth. Hebrews 13.14, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the one to come. We are seeking the spiritual Jerusalem. We are seeking the heavenly and as macarthur indicates and i know i'm alliterating from him a lot but i was really digging in and he had a lot of great stuff to say here but as he indicates the church is in danger of being so earthly minded that it is no heavenly good truly the church is so busy and and we as its members i mean we sit there and you want to sit there and go oh yeah well that person that person that, we're just as bad about it so i'm, I'm not i'm pointing the finger at myself you know that, that we're so caught up in the earthly we're so earthly minded about the things of the earth that we're no heavenly good and we're not we're told not to do that matthew 6 20 through 21 but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also he's jesus is very clear there in matthew we're supposed to be storing up our treasure in heaven 
that's where our work needs to be focused. Yeah, we're supposed to have a job here and we're supposed to take care of our family and our responsibilities and our debts and all that stuff here. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not saying don't do that. that. And that's not what Jesus is saying. But we've got to be doing our work for the kingdom. And we don't. I mean, I'm sorry. There's way too many of us that are pew sitters. That are pew sitters and think we're saved. Now we might be, but we're not called to be pew sitters. We're so earthly minded. We're so caught up with the things of the earth. I'm sorry. One of the big things I've seen, and I saw when my kids were little and I still see it where you see families that bend over backwards to make, to get, make sure they get their kids to all their, all their scout things. And, and don't get me wrong. My kids did sports. My kids did scouts, my kids, but that those take precedence over making time for the spiritual. That's not okay. Church should be the thing that you miss everything else for. The, the things of your church, the things of the, of the, of the heaven of heaven should be the things you miss everything else for. First John two, 15 through 17, that John here in this epistle, his first epistle lays it out. I mean, crystal clear. I'm sorry. Let me do Colossians three, one first. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep sinking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We need to be looking there, not here, looking towards that final, towards that final destination and towards what we need to do between here and there, not on the worldly. Okay. First John two, I want to read this to you. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. That's, that's talking about covetousness and wanting the worldly and the boastful pride of life. Oh, look at all my accomplishments is not from the father, but is from the world and the world. And in this case, he's saying world is the, is the evil world system and the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Therefore, the one that is involved in the heavenly abides forever. Philippians 1, 21 through 23, for to me to live is Christ. Here's Paul. And we know how tough Paul's life was. Boy, would Paul have loved to have prosperity gospel that, that God really wanted him to be healthy and wealthy and stuff with everything he went through. I mean, I'm sorry, all the beatings and I mean that he alliterates and I think it's in the book of Acts that he alliterates all the things that has ha have happened to him. He says here for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know what I will choose, but I am hard pressed between the two having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better. Making clear that it is better for us to be with Christ. He's not talking, he's not sitting there encouraging people, but, and please don't ever misunderstand this. And I'm going to lay this out clearly. He's not encouraging people to, to commit suicide so they can be with Christ. No, but what he is saying is to go on to glory is better than to wallow here in the world. But at the same time, he knows, and he goes on to say it, he knows he has responsibility here. And that God will take him when it's time. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.8 We are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Meaning away from the worldly and, and, and the heavenly. Focusing on the heavenly. That's where we need to be. I mean, how many verses is this if I've read? And I've not even read you the verse we're dealing with or the part of the verse we're dealing with. But these all say the same things. 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 8. This is Paul's last epistle. This is the last thing he writes out, and he's speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, who is 
who's going to be filling in and taking his place as he is killed. So he's saying the most important things. And he says this, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He's talking about his death. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. He's finished. I have kept the faith, and that course was the course from heaven. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Meaning all those who are heavenly minded, who have been focused on heaven, he will award that crown to. That's where our focus has to be. And so we can't be focused on the things of this world. First Peter 1, 4, to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you. That, that's what it's about. We have an inheritance there in heaven that's incorruptible and undefiled and unfading. That's where our head, our head needs to be because that inheritance will never go away. And it is guaranteed through the seal of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 5, 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How much more do we need to hear to know that our mind needs to be on the things of heaven, that we need to be heavenly minded. I'm not talking off all pie in the sky, head in the clouds, but our primary focus must be on the things of heaven. So our verse for today, and again, we're dealing with the fact that the fellowship of future glory, that's what it is, that they would one day be reunited in glory. And so we're looking at the fellowship. So John 17, verse 24a, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. This is that fellowship. Now we need to remember there's absolutely nothing in us to justify our being with him where he is nothing. First Corinthians one twenty six. for consider your calling brothers, that there were not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, meaning having no characteristics that can earn a place to be there with Christ. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, will be, we shall be saved by his life. So we were enemies. We were enemies. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, this lays it out more than anything. And this is Paul saying, this is where you were. This is where we were. So we, we, we can't earn our way to where Christ is. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, meaning evil world system, according to the ruler of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's who we were prior to our salvation in Christ. Um, even better. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienating from the citizenship of Israel, two, and strangers to the covenant of promise, three, having no hope for and without God in the world, five, clear descriptors of you and I prior to our salvation. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
but Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, again, dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Again, that's it. Father, I desire that they also, verse 24a again, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, right there. Um, Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, we already read this, much more having been reconciled, we'll, we shall be saved by his life and saved to an eternal salvation and to sit there as we saw at his right hand in heaven, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 4, 6. Or two six. He also adopts us as his children. So we become the adopted brothers and sisters of Christ. Christ wants us to be there with him. God does too. But Christ does too. And it's it's clear. I mean, again, it says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. What we need to understand is this is believers. This is not the eleven. And he's not talking to be there with the 11, with him there. Some people, and when they interpret, they say, be with me where I am. They think Jesus is talking about right there in the upper room. That's not what he's talking about. Okay, he's already talked about those guys. He's now talking about, as we saw in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their words, through the 11's words and those that would go out, their words. So he's speaking of those. But when he talks about it here, he's speaking of it where he's going to go. And he's speaking of it as if it's already happened. So Jesus wishes us to be with him where he was. Not there with the 11, but where he would be after his ascension. And he speaks of it as certain. So he speaks in the present tense. Again, let's go back to John 14. What he was already saying to them in the upper room discourse here. So that, that, that in this whole conversation, he has said previously to them in this in this same couple of hours there in the upper room, John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Again, making clear that we're going to be that, that fellowship of those that are glorified. We are going to be that fellowship of future glory because Christ is going to come get us and take us there. Even David knew this. Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. That's where our mind has to be focused. Not here, not on goods, not on services, not on getting everything we can get out of this world first. 
It has to be on the fact that we are sojourners here. And we must be focused on the heavenly. All right. That's going to do it for this evening. Thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that in this time we spend together that we all grow in our understanding of the scriptures. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Let's go ahead and close out with the six day evening prayer. It's called the mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name, excuse me, unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator in whom all fullness dwells and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings without ceasing to abhor sin or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love to live not to ourselves, but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.